Hello everyone, this is Eva Nolik-Smith with Yoga You Online and I'm very pleased to be here today with yoga therapist Olga Cabell. Olga has been teaching yoga for more than 15 years and she has trained in a number of different kind of yoga teacher training programs and eventually became certified as a Vini Yoga therapist with the Gary Kraftsaw. Um, most of you will probably know Olga as the founder and managing director of Sequence Wiz, which is a web-based yoga sequence builder that assists yoga teachers and yoga therapists in organizing yoga practices. Olga is driven by a strong belief in the healing power of yoga and strives to make yoga accessible to students of any age physical ability, and medical history. And Olga, as best I can tell, you are a perpetual student based on your very vast knowledge of yoga and how to make the benefits of yoga available. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Eva. Great to be here. So um, when we talk about making yoga more accessible to everyone, um, we talk obviously about reducing the risk of injury, but we also talk about making sure that students are comfortable in the pose, have the experience of the pose that Patanjali referred to as stira and sukha, mm -hmm. easy, ease and comfortable um, in each pose. And stable. Mm -hmm. And stable, yes. And so one of the things that holds us back from that experience, obviously, is misalignments. And misalign or alignment sometimes gets a bad rap in the yoga community because it's uh, interpreted as an attempt to fit people into one size fits all expression of the pose. But there's really a lot more to the concept of alignment. Is that correct? Definitely. I would kind of rephrase, reframe the issue a little bit. To me, it's more about purposefulness, right, and intention. Whatever shape you assume when you're doing yoga pose, why are you doing it? If we have this deep understanding of what it is that we're trying to accomplish, then we have we don't have to do as much memorizing. We don't have to think so hard because we understand the essence, right? The essence mm -hmm. of the pose. Um, I kind of wanted to tell you a little story that I heard on NPR. Um, maybe it would be relevant to our discussion today. Um, the story was told by this woman um, and the action was taking place before holidays during the holiday season. So their family had this tradition of always baking this huge chunk of ham for the holidays. So she's in the kitchen, getting ready to bake this ham. She cuts off two end pieces, puts it in the pan, sticks it in the oven. And her daughter who is sitting there says, mom, why did you cut off the end pieces from the ham? And uh, her mom was like, huh, I'm not quite sure. This is how my mom always used to do it. Maybe it brings out the flavor or something like that. So she keeps thinking about it and kind of keeps bugging her. She's like, okay, let's call grandma and ask her, why is it that she always does this? So they call grandma and uh, she asks, so mom, why did you 
always used to cut off those pans of ham. And her mom says, because my pan was too small. <laughs> so the idea here that I think is <laughs> shown beautifully is that sometimes we do things just because we observed other people do it or we were taught uh, to do it one way or we just assumed that that's how things are done. But um, once we take a closer look and gain a better understanding of what the poses are meant to accomplish, then we can really understand how to adapt each pose to an individual student so that they get those benefits that we are after. Mm. And yoga, like um, Bhujangasana or Cobra pose, is an excellent example of that um, because it's, it is such an effective back bend. It is so effective for the lower back tension but the way it's done quite often actually um, creates more problems than um, instead of releasing tension so how do we understand this pose and how do we approach it in a way that we don't hurt our students but actually help them so that's why in this particular um, series we will be talking taking a very close look at back bends and uh, how can we make them more effective? How can we make them work for people um, as well as lateral bends? Because there are also there are a lot of misunderstandings about side bending in the yoga community as well. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and um, of course, when we think about back bends, most of us think about low back pain, right? Which is one of the common issues people experience which is linked to misalignment um so what's going on there <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot going on to be honest with you whenever i read articles uh or hear on the news how many lower back sufferers are out there um my husband laughs at me because i always say a little cobra would go such a long way with many of those people. It doesn't mean that it's going to solve every problem. Of course not. There is a complexity and variety of back pain out there. But this can be such a great first step in learning how to release tension in the lower back. And when we think about uh, back bends in general, we tend to envision those deep, I don't know, wheel pose or that... Um, um, dancer's pose, holding your foot, some, something so deep and so dramatic, while, um, first of all, those are not accessible to many, many students. And uh, they're more, um, they're, I call them show horse yoga poses, <laughs> as opposed to work horse. There, is a, there are others, other poses that are much less dramatic, um, and not as showy, but they kind of bear the brunt of the work, and they are the ones who can really, really help increase circulation into the lower back, upper back areas, release chronic tension, and um, just create more mobility and stability, coming back to the stirasuka idea. Right, right. So we'll be talking more about poses like that, less dramatic, more effective, mm. of course. Yeah. And when you say Copa pose is great at releasing um, tension in the, the low back, um, 
Could you talk about what the mechanics are for that? Because I think most people will say that it has the opposite effect for many people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What I tend to observe in Cobra Pose quite a bit, um, especially with new students, um, is in their effort to deepen the bend, they use their arms a lot. So what ends up happening is they create a pivot point in some area of their back, usually some in the lower back or a little higher than that. So they end up folding their bodies, creating a lot of tension in the lumbar area. Mm -hmm. So what we will be talking about instead, instead of creating that pivot point, how do we distribute the curve all along the back, from the neck, through the upper back, into the lower back. So we create equal contraction and engagement in all the posterior back muscles um, so that we could increase blood flow into the area and release tension. So moving from the pivot point toward equal distribution of effort and engagement through the back. Interesting. And and of course, we'll also throw in the idea of sacrum stabilization, because that's also a big question, a big problem um, uh, with uh, the sacrum, sacroiliac joints becoming destabilized. And Cobra and um, I call them Cobra sister poses, um, Vimanasana um, and Shalabhasana, they can be very, very effective in creating stability and strength in the whole lumbar sacral area, um, strengthening all the muscles that support it. So we'll be talking a lot about that as well. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So when you mention SI joint issues, that comes more from the asymmetrical poses, right? The trikonasana, warrior, mm -hmm. warrior poses. Um, and it doesn't mean that asymmetrical poses will cause sacroiliac joint issue. That's not the case. But for some people who have a little bit more mobility than normal in sacroiliac joints, uh, they're just more susceptible. So anytime they do asymmetrical poses, especially without proper prop preparation, without proper compensation, things can just pop out of place. Mm -hmm. And it can be pretty immediate for people. Um, so that's why we use... Uh, bending like stable bed bends uh, to both prevent the pop-up from happening uh, to protect the sacroiliac joint but also to over time strengthen the area so it's less likely to um, just get out of place mm, interesting yeah so um, just getting back to the the back bends and and the cobra pose um, I think the low back pain happens because it tends to be the more mobile part of the uh, of the spine in back bends, and we don't really have much capacity for back bend in the upper part of the spine. So I think those ribs ribs get in the way. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think there is probably a bit of a mental block for a lot of people because if they do what you say, the back bend with an even curve through the spine, there's not really much happening to speak of. <laughs> mm -hmm. So right. how do you um, kind of help students reconcile the picture of the back bend safety? <laughs> <laughs> yoga magazines and the actual reality of what they are able to accomplish in their body. 
Um, I would say, well, go back to the intention. What is it trying? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to audition for Cirque du Soleil? Or are you trying to make your back feel better? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, um, that's the initial premise. How do you approach the pose? Um, and sometimes it can be a struggle, especially when people have been doing it a certain way for an extended period of time. And that's the first thing that they do is push up into Cobra with their arms, right? Creating that pivot point. So it, it requires some retraining. But I generally find that once people start to understand the purpose behind it and start really experiencing it in their body, the difference between the two. One of the things I like to do is to ask people, do it the way they normally do it first and and feel what's going on in your back, where do you feel it, what kind of activity is happening there, and then let's try it a different way. Instead of pushing yourself into the pose, how about you pull with your arms instead, lifting the chest forward and up, creating more length through the front of the body and more width, and now see how it feels in your lower back. Is there a difference? Mm-hmm. So usually comparing the two, uh, really having them experience it, um, has an impact. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. And and what are the warning signs like in back Bands, it's pretty obvious when you have gone too far because your low back starts to hurt. Uh, but what are the warning signs for the SI joint? That's a little more subtle, isn't it? Yeah. Um, for some people, it can be immediate. Through the pop, SI joint can just pop out of place. Um, for others, it's less pronounced. Um, so generally, it's just teaching people body awareness, of course, but also general ideas of if you do a lot of asymmetrical poses, make sure that you balance them out with symmetrical stuff. If you do a lot of standing poses, make sure you also, afterwards you transition to the ground and do some sort of back bends, um, stable, not deep <laughs> back bends that would create stability. So I think it's also both intellectual understanding uh, of what's going on and practical exploration to see how the body responds um, to this kind of practice. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And um, obviously it's very different from student to student what they can do and you know what is easy for them what's not easy um and you have a special kind of take on misalignments why they happen and how best to approach them could could you talk a little bit about that are we talking about release valves yes (laughs) (laughs) um i don't know if my approach is so unique but the main idea is that um, when we arrive at the yoga mat, uh, we arrive there with the baggage of our experience with our life, right? With um, Because of the way we move our bodies during the day, how we sit, how we stand, how we walk, what we do with them. It's all that body memory is not going to disappear once you arrive on your yoga mat. So 
and once you begin to move, your body starts assuming those positions that are more comfortable, that the body is more used to, um, even though if you're trying to accomplish something entirely different from what you're habitually accustomed to. So we call those release valves. Basically, your body um, assuming a position uh, that it's accustomed to to avoid working certain areas. Um, so those can be beneficial or not so beneficial. So we have to stay on the lookout for those. Um, and there are some for each directional movement of the spine for back bends. There's a list of pretty typical um, release valves that we will discuss um, in the series. Um, so we'll go one by one and see what commonly happens what can potentially happen with your neck and how we correct that? What can happen to your lower back and how to work with it to avoid, to prevent that from happening? So it's not that many of them. So they're, I think they're pretty easy to kind of um, understand and then um, continue to check yourself or your students to make sure that we're not falling into those habitual movement patterns. Yeah, and I, I think as a yoga teacher, it can be a, a great eye-opener to begin to see those a little bit more systematically so you can understand what you're anyway observing in your yoga class but not completely mm -hmm. knowing what is the origin of that particular misalignment. And then what to do with it also. It's yeah. one thing to, to recognize it, to see that that's happening with students in your class. Then how do you approach it? How do you explain it to them so that they could self-correct as well? And so that you don't have to say that every single time with every single backbend, right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and some, some of them are fairly... Um, you sort of get them fairly early on and they're reasonably easy to observe. And then there's others uh, like uh, Tripanasana, you made reference to that before, where it seems like there is, uh, at least in backbends, it's mainly just dumping into the low back or jutting the ribs out. But in Tripanasana, it appears there is um, at least five different kinds of misalignments that I can think of off, right off the bat, which mm -hmm. are all kind of, have a somewhat different origin in terms of the limitations of the person's body, mm -hmm. where they're more bendy, where they're more tight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have to stay on the lookout for that. Um, I would say those ones, Trikonasana is the one where several types of release valves can show up. But then in other side bends, lateral bends, right, some of the same release valves will be showing up as well. So, um, so that's why if you understand trikonasana, really understand trikonasana, then you probably will be able to do any side bend. <laughs> because complexity-wise, trikonasana is up there at the top Definitely. as far as alignment goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Well, you already made some reference to um, the course you have on Yoga U about avoiding injuries uh, in your practice and uh, refining alignments. Uh, could you talk a little bit more specifically about the course and what you're covering? Sure. So in the first part of the course, we will focus on backbends. So we will discuss 
first of all, what a backbend is, right? What it is that we're trying to accomplish when we're doing them. There's actually two um, very specific and different types of backbends, so we'll, we'll discuss those. And then because of that, depending on what type of a backbend you're doing, the technique will be a little different. Um, so we'll uh, take a closer look at that. And then we'll talk about what kind of backbends fall into each category, when it is appropriate to do uh, those backbends and the other types of backbends, kind of where do they fit in the um, within a yoga practice. Um, and then after that, we'll really zoom in on uh, the release valves. So very specifically, one by one, um, I call it play a game, right? Identify a release valve where I show a picture so that the students, people who are watching the course can kind of see and try to identify what is going on. And then um, I'll give them a minute to do that. And then I'll explain what, uh, what kind of issues, potential issues are, um, you know, are in that image and then how what we can do to correct them so right. we'll do that for for every release valve um, so and then it'll be a very oh. interactive course it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> i love when it's interactive <laughs> right cool. and then and in the second part, it pretty much follows the same pattern as far as structure. So we'll be taking a look at lateral bends and what it is that we're trying to accomplish, how to do them. There are two very distinctive ways um, of doing back bends. Uh, there's one way we do it in the Vinyoga tradition, and there's another one that's more widely accepted. So I'll just make my case for why we do it. <laughs> and we'll extend that to um, all the other side bends. And again, take a closer look at what can happen uh, as far as release valves go, image by image, valve by valve, um, trying to identify those and then explain them and troubleshoot them as well. Well, wonderful, Olga. Sounds like uh, another great Olga Cabell course. And uh, we're very much looking forward. And thank you so much for joining us today. Me too. I can't wait. Thank you, Eva. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.